a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast that is solely focused on overseas, overseas politics. There is intrigue going on in the world every single day. This man identifies it and then breaks it down for you. He can give you background on pretty much any situation ever that has unfolded. You're like an encyclopedia of knowledge, Dr. Keith Souter. A couple of PhDs in international relations, a commentator in Australian media, you name it. My name is Kate Mack. We're getting into today, Keith, something that has been so foreign to me, like not, just got no idea about how this even came about, but Bitcoin, what even is Bitcoin? <laughs> I actually talk about three things of which a Bitcoin comes in at the bottom. So the top, uh, there's what's called blockchain, and then you have cryptocurrency, and then one example of the cryptocurrency would be Bitcoin. So blockchain is a database that stores information in a way that it's decentralized. It's an open ledger of transactions. So it's a bit like your bank account being published on the internet. So we can see all of the movements of money in and out of your bank account. Uh, Leaving aside the privacy issues there, it's designed to be open. It's transparent. So if somebody starts fiddling with your bank account, it immediately becomes obvious. So blockchain, the block is the original transaction. For example, Keith bought a Bitcoin off Kate. And then you've got a hash, which is a unique fingerprint on each block of data. And that authenticates the data. And the blocks are linked together in a chain with each hash recognizing the hash on the previous chain. That's blockchain. So it's it's all to do with information technology. There is nothing physical about blockchain. So that's the blockchain. And then one of the people who's, or one of the organizations, we don't know, who developed this has created a currency called Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin is a new type of money. It was launched back in 2009, so right after the global financial crisis or perhaps even during the global financial crisis, which we take to begin as in August of 2008. So there is no central authority and it's the users who assign the value, not governments. And so that's Bitcoin. And then you have a variety of later versions of Bitcoin, uh, which are called cryptocurrencies. So what happened is, is that back in 2008, we had the, the global financial crisis. And this arose because of the irresponsible bank lending, mainly for mortgages. And governments permitted this irresponsibility. And many reserve banks and the media didn't understand what was going on, you know, the collateralized debt obligations, et cetera. Gillian Tett, who's actually got a PhD in anthropology, <laughs> she's an expert on kinship in Uzbekistan. She did a PhD in, in Uzbekistan at Cambridge, and she got sick of anthropology. And at the time when the Soviet Union was collapsing, she said, uh, I'm already in the Soviet bloc. Would you like a journalist? And uh, they said, yeah, we could do with one at this time as the Soviet Union collapses. So Dr. Gillian Ted moved out of anthropology, became a, a journalist. This is an inspiring story. Remember, she's got no financial background. And she came at all of this finance from an anthropologist's point of view. 
not as an economist. Remember, it's the economists who are, most of them, who are failing to speak out about this looming financial crisis. Okay, you, you had Elizabeth Warren at Harvard, you had uh, Schiller at Yale, uh, but most economists, most financial commentators were just happy to go along with this booming mortgage economy. But because she was an anthropologist, it's a bit like the story of the emperor has no clothes. She's the one who's not let in on the game. She's the one who looks at the whole thing afresh. And so she was able to say this is a major crisis that's looming. Brilliant job on her part. The value of an anthropologist just looking at the the financial system as an outsider. And Dr. Ted has now got on to become one of the senior editors in the Financial Times. So we've got this global financial crisis, which financial commentators didn't understand, governments didn't understand, reserve banks didn't understand. And part of the problem is that banks create money out of thin air. So when you ask people, where does money come from? They say, oh, it gets printed. No, only 3% of the money in Australia or the United States is actually cash, you know, the notes and coins. Most money is invented by banks. So you go to a bank to get a mortgage that they give you, say, a million dollars. You don't walk out with that in a wheelbarrow. It's just digits on a screen. And so banks create money. And so they were the ones uh, who were very heavily involved in this global financial crisis. And the money that we've got is called a fiat currency. So it's no longer backed by gold or silver. It's fiat, which means command. So if you look at your bank notes or bank bills, there's a statement on it from the head of the Reserve Bank or Secretary of the Treasury or whatever saying, you must treat this sheet of paper, which could easily be toilet paper, you must treat it as though it's worth a dollar or $5 or whatever. That's fiat, command. I command you to do this. This all works out okay as long as everybody plays their part. But as Gillian Tett was warning, along with Elizabeth Warren, the banking system is saturated with debt. It's going to collapse. And, of course, it did, beginning in August 2008 with the Lehman financial crisis. And so in 2008, 2009, a person, group of people, whatever, we don't know, called Satoshi Yakamoto comes out of existence and says, look, with computer technology, we can now create our own currency. We don't need to rely on governments. Governments can't be trusted with money. Banks certainly can't be trusted with money. We can create a money that we, the people, control ourselves, and that's called Bitcoin. And so Satoshi Nakamoto, who hasn't been seen for several years, well, was never seen at the time, but we did hear from that person, has since disappeared because this person has created a currency that threatens all governments. As you know, China has now banned Bitcoin because the Chinese Communist Party realises that it can't control things. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Sudo. We're talking about Bitcoin because, honestly, Keith, I've got to say, there's got to be very few people that really, truly understand how it all works. I mean, I hear it on the news when it first came out. Just to get my head around the fact that you can just suddenly make up a currency. Yeah. You know? 
is only because you've got new technology. It's the computers that have enabled this new currency. That's just putting so much faith into technology that you were allowing that to happen. Well, you and I are dinosaurs, Kate. You're a younger version of a dinosaur, but (laughs) (laughs) but we're both very sceptical of computers. You're quite right. But this person or group of people, whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is or was or were, has transformed finance. And their paper, which, which is available all over the internet for free, it really does represent a, a new world in how things could be done. Okay, so I just want to know this, like, and I know this might be basic questions, but let me, you know, let me do this for a moment. So let's say I invest $100,000 in Bitcoin and then it goes up in value and it's suddenly worth $200,000. How do I cash that in? And I want to get rid of it all and then move you on. You need to find a way of selling. And a lot of people aren't selling at the moment because they hope the value is going to continue increasing. But remember, it is stored in your one computer in some sort of digital wallet. So you need to protect that digital wallet. See, we've already had hacking attempts. There was a a very famous one in Japan on what's called Mount Gox. And uh, the people who broke into that got 480 million, almost half a billion American dollars. And there's a a well-known Welsh case of a fellow who'd got bitcoins threw away his old computer, Bitcoin, and increased in value. So there's a picture of him going through the the local village dumping ground looking for his computer. I'm not sure he ever did find it. So he threw away millions of pounds. And so it does represent a whole new, you're right, it represents a whole new way of thinking. But does it represent, sorry, Keith, and like, sorry, the end part of that question was, does it represent actual money? Like, can you go into a bank and... Like, will you be able to make that extra $100,000 you made? You can actually get physical money for that. Yes, if you're in El Salvador. That's the first country to go down that track. Now, what we're seeing, and in the case of China, they won't accept Bitcoin, but they're working on their own version, which will be controlled by the Chinese government. So Bitcoin, I think, given its price, is really a bit like gold. It's a store of value. See, money has a number of uses. One is a sort of a transactional value of money. So you grow bananas, I make shoes, and then we trade with each other in what's called barter. And it gets very complicated. How many bananas equals a pair of shoes or whatever? However, if you have this neutral thing called money, then you can express your products in money, say Australian dollars, I can express my products in Australian dollars as well. So we've got a common unit. Now, this is where Bitcoin gets interesting. And this is what's troubled the Chinese government because it means, therefore, that you can do your trading without having to go through a government currency. So I can buy things, theoretically, with Bitcoin and not have to go through any government register. At the moment, if you were to buy something from overseas, a bank will handle your foreign exchange transaction and they will charge you for it. That's called clipping. So they will take off a sum of money for delivering something which is fairly basic, but it becomes a source of revenue for the banks. With Bitcoin, you just deal directly with another person. So if you're a drug addict and I'm a drug dealer, then we meet up on the Silk Road, as it was then called, 
And that's where we do our transactions. And I would just then post stuff to you through the ordinary mail disguised as something else. And the post office can't open every package that comes into this country. So Bitcoin represents a, a whole new way of doing things. So there are all sorts of new challenges that are, are opening up. I do, uh, in my talks, warn people to be wary of information technology hype. You know, I go to so many conferences and there are presenters, usually young people, usually young males, who tell us that the new latest technology is going to heal the sick, raise the dead, and end the drought. <laughs> and that's the worry that I've got with the Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, that people will just simply say, well, they're going to solve all of our problems. I think there will be problems. And I'm always saying to people, beware of criminal intention. The people who designed the original internet failed to think about how criminals could use the internet. It just never occurred to them that it would be hacking. And so we're now using the internet for purposes for which it was not designed, like bank accounts, purchasing, watching movies. So we're using something which is not designed for purpose and is vulnerable to being um, disrupted. Getting back to your question about buying Bitcoin, when Henry Ford began his car company, there are about 500 manufacturers. So an early investor could have lost a lot of money if they'd gone with any of these other manufacturers. If they'd gone for Henry Ford, excellent, they would have made money. And it's the same really with Bitcoin. If you go for Bitcoin, you would have done well. On the other hand, there are so many other cryptocurrencies out there which are not going to do well, which may actually be fakes. So this is the risk about getting in on something on the ground floor. But then at the same time, it could also be that this type of technology will help transform Africa. So a lot of Africans don't have access to a bank account. And so what they do, uh, because there are, there's no bank in their village, the British government, working with Vodafone, created a mobile banking system in Kenya, and it's called M-Pesa. So it's mobile money. Peso is Swahili, money. So mobile money. And so everybody has a mobile phone in Kenya. You don't get landlines. You don't get the, you know, the fixed landlines. People have just jumped right over that stage and have got mobile phones. And so they try to work it so you're always near an M-Pesa outlet. So you can just walk into a, like a, almost like a hot dog store and you can put money into your bank account or you can take it out. And then you would go down the street if you've got money in the account and buy the newspaper or a pair of shoes or some bananas. And so Kenya is much more advanced in its banking than London. Wow. Because the British are very conservative about anything involving technology and banking, whereas Kenya has become a world leader and is called M-Pesa. You should look it up on the internet. It's a really inspiring story about how lives can be changed by getting access to money. And especially in Africa, where it is a bit more hard going for the everyday person. Absolutely. And of course, I keep warning, keep an eye on Africa at the end of the century. It could be a powerhouse. There'll be more people living in Africa than India and China combined. So then the, the message from all of this then, Keith, is that Bitcoin type of currencies will continue to emerge, one would think. 
Yes, keep so my uh, advice would be keep an eye on the blockchain technology because it will mutate into various usages. For example, when you're buying a house, you might be able to get all your lease information or contract information on blockchain, in which case you don't need a lawyer. You just get it directly. So suddenly all those young lawyers who spend time checking on uh, on uh, you know the contractual arrangements for buying or selling a house, they go. They're going to be replaced by blockchain. So my advice to people is, uh, I'm bearing in mind, I'm not licensed to give financial advice, but my advice is Bitcoin is probably going to be a bit risky to buy now that it's so expensive, but keep an eye out for other cryptocurrencies and particularly keep an eye on how blockchain will emerge. That will continue to exist in our future. Dr. Keith, enlightening as always. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.